Asia Pacific currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest、uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. All views of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday, the second of November. My my, has the year flown! I'm Giselle Hanna, and I'm taking you through to nine thirty this morning.、Um, coming up in the second part of the show this morning, I'll be speaking with Jacob Grack, who is the、um, anti arms industry campaign coordinator for Australia Asia Worker Links, and we're going to be talking about、um, the campaign. For to free Julian Assange and return him back to Australia.、Um, a number of trade unions in Australia have、um, joined the campaign and joined the call for his return. So we'll find out where that、um, that campaign is at. Um, of course,、uh, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links, and if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web, all the w's dot a a w l dot org dot a u. We're on Facebook and Twitter, so find us on those social media platforms, and we continue to post news, current affairs, and information about labour movement struggles across the Asia Pacific region. It's two minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio Three CR, and we're going to go straight into news from around the region. And we're going to start in the Philippines, where another unionist has been shot on the morning of the fifteenth of October. J.D. Cabanelles, apologies for pronunciation.、Uh, he's a, so he's a primary school teacher、uh, and a union leader. Was shot dead multiple times by four masked gunmen in front of school kids at the Dalit Elementary School in Valencia City. And、uh, the Valencia city is in is on the southern island of Mindanao, which, as we know, is a、um, Muslim stronghold.、Uh, and there is currently a campaign or a, a guerrilla war going on in that in that area, and is still under a state of emergency. Despite being shot multiple times, JD was not killed and is in intensive care in hospital. The Philippines military have justified this attack by stating that Cabanillas was the daughter of a New People's Army officer. In actual fact, her parents are both active members of the peasant organisation Kasama Bukidnon. Both have been consistently red-tagged by the military, and therefore one must assume that they are also in danger of being assassinated. JD's attempted killing is just the latest attack on her group, the Alliance of Concerned Teachers, which has lost other members recently. This latest attack once again highlights the reign of terror and impunity that President Duterte has fostered during his presidency. And in the UK, UK migrants' death a symptom of a global system of exploitation. The discovery of the 39 dead people in the back of a refrigerated truck in Essex, in the southeast of the UK, has once again highlighted the intertwined issues of closed borders, migrant workers, and the global economy. First, the report suggested that the people were from China, but further investigations revealed the majority were poor Vietnamese workers who had left their towns in search for work and a better life. 
The conditions that led to these 39 deaths emerge from the same set of politics that deny asylum, justify indefinite immigration detention, charter deportation flights and restrict migrants' access to fundamental rights. Thus, workers from exploited countries in their quest for a living have to rely on an unregulated private and illegal system that not only financially exploits them further but puts their lives at risk. While the people that had organised their passage are directly responsible for their death, the ultimate responsibility lies with a global system of borders and laws that entrenches exploitative and deadly relations of power. In Iran last Saturday, which was uh, the 26th of October, six well-known jailed workers' rights defenders and political prisoners um, were released from prison. Their release follows months of solidarity campaigning internationally as well as bouts of hunger strikes by the detainees themselves. Nevertheless, all the six are only on bail and still face serious charges such as inciting of public disorder, endangering national security and failing to obey state agents. These charges carry years of jail time as well as the danger of being whipped. Just to tell you who those six are, um, among them is Sepide Rolian, uh, Atife Rangriz, Mazier Amiri, Sanaz El um, El Ahyari, Amir Hossein Mohammadi Fad, and Amir um, Amir Goli. Those are the five, and the most well known is Sepideh, obviously, because there is a, a particularly big campaign for her release. So these comrades are currently out on bail. Um, Notwithstanding the temporary releases, there are a number of sugarcane and bus worker labour activists who are still languishing in Iranian jails for the crime of organising for better wages and conditions. Just a couple of days ago, Ismail Bakshi, who's a labour activist from the Haftapes sugarcane factory, he was released on heavy ba- on a heavy bail condition um, and uh, close to US two hundred thousand. Dollars in surety. Ishmael is facing a sentence of 14 years in jail. And in Iraq last Friday, the 25th of October, saw another mass protest against government corruption, inequality and crumbling social services. Tens of thousands of working class people once again were met with violence by the state, with many killed and injured and thousands arrested. The protests have continued all week and the latest estimates are that over 250 protesters have been killed, many thousands injured and arrested since the protests began in early October. The unrest has affected all areas of Iraq and this week the port of Basra in the south uh, was completely blockaded. These protests have become a huge challenge to the system as they're both economic and political in nature. In addition, the protesters are united across cultural and religious lines and are clearly attacking the sectarian and despotic nature of the Iraqi state and its associated militias. Um, Of course, that uh, bringing together of different uh, religious groups is such a significant development in the Middle East and really does show that the connection... Um, on united front positions of economic interest, material interest, can actually disappear the differences that emerge between religions. Uh, In Lebanon, as with Iraq, Lebanon shares a history of sectarian violence and since the end of the civil war in 1975, sectarian politics along religious, ethnic and cultural lines has dominated. 
two weeks ago, after new taxes were announced, mass protests erupted against rampant corruption, inequality and poverty that soon affected all areas of Lebanon. Like Iraq, these working-class protests united people across the sectarian divide. This week, the protesters won a major victory with the resignation of Prime Minister Harari, uh, Hariri, who quit after his efforts to quell the demonstrations by offering some reforms failed. The problem for workers in Lebanon after this victory is that with decades of political stagnation and repression, there are no organisations that are ready to replace the current system of political patronage and sectarian divides. Of course, the other thing in for those of us who are communists or Marxists but are not um, Stalinists or don't have those particular politics, the, uh, it is difficult to accept, I think. But also part of the uh, reason that there aren't these organisations actually relates to the fall of the um, Soviet Union. Uh, in Australia, following on from the numerous instances of rampant and systemic underpayment from the retail, hospitality and farming sectors, this week, the major Australian supermarket chains admitted that they too were also guilty of wage theft. Woolworths has stated that it believes that it has underpaid close to 6,000 workers for a total of up to $300 million. This figure is likely to to raise um, investigations. Um, Sorry, this figure is likely to go up as investigations are now beginning into other stores that the retail chain owns. The company made this announcement after it came under sustained pressure from the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union who have been investigating this issue for the last year. In the same week of this latest wage theft, the Australian Industry Group has stated that no criminal penalties should be introduced for instances of wage theft as a prospect of jail time or heavy fines would act as a deterrent for companies to own up to any unintentional mistakes. Effectively, one rule for the bosses, another rule for us. And finally, in Bangladesh... Um, the Global Trade Union Federation, the International Union of Food Workers, um, has launched an international campaign against Netherlands-based Perfetti van Mee, the third largest confectionery company in the world, for the company's use of children in its Bangladeshi factory in Ghazipur. In early April of this year, workers were attacked after the PVM union representing workers at the factory called on management to end the use of child labour. In response, the company employed the services of Rahat Corporation, who sent 20 thugs to assault workers in the factory with bats and wooden sticks. The IUF is calling for the end of the use of all child workers in this factory. It is 12 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents with me, Giselle Hanna, taking you through to 9.30 this morning. We're going to go to some community announcements and then we'll have our feature interview for the morning with Jacob Gregg. Three CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. 
Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. Six years I've been in prison. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things unfold. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully it goes, it keeps going. You know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor because real power comes from here and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 
It is 16 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. We are having some difficulty getting Jacob on the show this morning. So I wanted to broadcast a speech that was given at the Workers' Solidarity Conference uh, on the 20th of October. As you recall, um, some of the producers of Asia Pacific Currents were instrumental in putting that together. And Gwyneth Evans, who was one of the speakers at that conference, is also on the Committee of Management on the Executive of Australia Asia Worker Links. So I'm going to broadcast her address. Um, Solidarity Breakfast played this last week on the show, but uh, Gwyneth addressed the question of where are we at? So where are we in the current um, political and economic uh, climate and where to from here? So here's Gwyneth Evans. So our first speaker is Comrade Gwyneth Evans. She's Assistant Secretary of the Meat Workers Union, the AMIU. And she's speaking on a very small topic, which is, where are we at? Now, I have been asked to address the topic of where we're at. And with such a broad topic, I thought I'd say we're at 251 Queensbury Street, Carlton. (laughs) And leave it at that. And that is accurate, but it's probably too short. Alternatively, I could try to rewrite Das Kapital, but that would take too long. So I apologise for my scrappy address. It doesn't cover a quarter of what it should, or even a tenth, but here goes. So less than than two decades into the 21st century, and it's evident that capitalism has failed as a social system. The world is mired in economic stagnation and extreme inequality, accompanied by mass unemployment and underemployment, precariousness, poverty, hunger, wasted output and lives, and what can be called a planetary ecological death spiral. The digital revolution the greatest technological advance of our time, has rapidly mutated from being a promise of free communication and liberated production into new means of surveillance, control and displacement of workers. The institutions of liberal democracy are at the point of collapse, while fascism the rear guard of the capitalist system is again on the march, along with patriarchy, racism, imperialism and war. The conditions for an all-out war in the Middle East are riper now than at any time in recent memory, because any development anywhere in the region can have ripple effects everywhere narrowly containing a crisis is fast becoming an exercise in futility. The US could be near the brink of war with Iran again after months of rising tension. A war with Iran would be disastrous while further destabilising a region that's been consumed by conflict for years. 
And in a stunning announcement, the Trump administration gave the nod to a Turkish military incursion into the northeastern Syria. It's not as though Syria hasn't been had a bit of war of its own. Turkey launched the cross-border operation on October the 9th with a fence against the Kurds. On the 18th of October, a ceasefire was announced. The deal requires the Kurdish militias to withdraw from a safe zone, but that zone hasn't been defined. Then, to look at the idea of the climate crisis that we have. I, to look at that, I referred to one of the more conservative bodies on this issue, NASA, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. What they identified as the vital signs of our planet at the moment are carbon dioxide in the atmosphere has risen by 412 parts per million. Global temperature has risen by 1.9 degrees Fahrenheit. Arctic ice is decreasing by 12% every decade. Ice sheets are disappearing by more than 413 gigatons every year. And the sea level is rising by 3.3 millimetres every year. That says enough about it. As well, where what we have is populist governments, and that's ranging from the US and the UK to India, Brazil, Hungary, Poland, the Philippines, they're all growing more extreme in power. Populist topics such as immigration, Islamophobia and anti-elitism come to dominate their political debate. Populism in power emboldens the previously marginal extreme right. Many far-right leaders flirt with the extremists. For example, Brazil's president, Jair Bolsonaro, praises the military government. And India's ruling Hindu, BJP, is close to the violent paramilitary group, the RSFs. Poverty, wars, racism, and global warming lead to desperate movements of workers as refugees and as migrants. All of these impact disproportionately on women. Governments close borders, expelling refugees and using short-term visa systems to divide and conquer workers. In this, the Australian governments have led the way. In the workers' movement here, unions are already tightly regulated and have been increasingly so since the election of the coalition government in 2013. 
Although the Howard government's work choices was supposed to be wound back by the ALP after its election in 2007, only cosmetic changes have been made, paving the way for the current government to ramp up its anti-union busting agenda. Currently, it is difficult for unions to initiate any industrial actions, having to jump through numerous complex regulatory hoops, and the right to strike is virtually non-existent. The ability to organise in workplaces is also highly regulated. Failure to follow these regulations to the letter can result in heavy, hefty fines for individual workers, for union officials, as well as for the unions themselves. Now, the Ensuring Integrity Bill goes beyond holding the account of the so-called rogue union officials. Not only will the ability for union members to determine who leads their union be curtailed, but the union's ability to organise and campaign around workplace issues and bargaining will be hit hard. The clauses within the legislation are so broad that they're breathtaking. One particular one is the legislation that cites a person of significant interest. That person of significant interest has an issue with the behaviour of a union, then they can apply to the Registered Organisations Commission to take disciplinary action against that union. Disciplinary actions could include dismissing union officials, deregistering a union, placing a union into administration, restricting what a union can do with its own funds and resources, and altering a union's eligibility rules around what occupations and workplaces it has coverage over. Union officials who can be removed aren't only the paid officials, but they include rank and file members who are elected onto bodies, such as committees of management, to direct the unions. A person of interest in this context is an incredibly wide-ranging people. It can include anyone from the federal government right down to workplace managers who deal directly with union officials through bargaining and other matters of concern, and even an individual worker who is a member of a union. At best, this bill would waste union time and resources. And that's probably what it will do in many cases. Having to go through the rock and the courts to argue against employers and others who make applications against them. At worst, an ideologically driven government or other parties of significant interest would be able to effectively regulate specific unions to the point where we can't even advocate for or communicate with our own members, effectively regulating us out of existence. A trade union movement weakened further will leave wages and working conditions at the mercy of employers. 
putting workers in greater physical danger, particularly for those who work in hazardous industries where workplace safety is paramount and where it is only unions that ensure safe workplaces. Now, without going into either Ken or Colin's topics, I would have one further comment to make, and that is that we, as workers, need to get together. We need to band together and coordinate the biggest industrial campaign <coughs> to restore the right to strike, to abolish the ABCC and ROC, to raise the minimum wages to a, li to a living wage, reinstate penalty rates, and retrospectively reverse all anti-union legislation. Not to mention the need to refuse to be war, war fodder, to fight against racism, sexism, and fascism, and to reverse the ecological death spiral. Thank you. That was Gwyneth Evans from the Meat Industry Union, um, but speaking at the Workers' Solidarity Conference on the 20th of October. Um, that is all we have time for on Asia-Pacific Currents this morning. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next Saturday from 9 o'clock with more news and current affairs from the Asia-Pacific region. Coming up next is Palestine Remembered. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.